One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, besties, and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast chatting about stuff that matters, real talk, and lols. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Thank you so much for joining me. On the show, part one of my conversation with Ash Mason, the woman's life physio. Ash is a ray of sunshine, bubbly and full of empowering knowledge. Alongside her work mentoring and as a physio, Ash created a program for health and fitness app Keep It Cleaner and works as their women's health educator. We talk about self-love and self-confidence, tips for women during pregnancy and postpartum, And what is burnout? How can we avoid it? And what to do once we're there? Ash, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I know you've had some incredible guests on this podcast and I am just like, like, what am I doing here? I'm very much imposter syndrome, but we'll talk about that as we oh, go. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. So yeah. thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I am a physiotherapist. I've been a physio for Oh, this is like my sixth year now. And I'm also a coach. So I, about 12 months ago, I did a life coaching course, but I very much specialize in the mindset world. And my big passion areas are self-love and self-confidence. So yeah, that's like what I do. And in terms of who I am, I'm just like a gal from Melbourne that is a very proud cat mum to a little ginger fluffy boy <laughs> who I'm looking at at the moment and hoping he stays quiet for the <laughs> duration of this podcast. I'm a fiance. Yeah. Um, I'm lots of things. And I always have my fingers in many pies. Yeah, we'll chat through everything soon. But like you say, you are a fiance and you're getting married very soon. So that's very exciting. And um, we were just chatting off air about how I got engaged in New Zealand. Obviously, you're based in NZ. And when you said you got engaged in New Zealand, I said, was it Queenstown? And tell <laughs> yeah, us <it> <laughs> where in Queenstown you got engaged because it is very nice. Yes, I got engaged like literally in the onsen at the onsen, um, <laughs> overlooking the is it the shot over river there? Yeah. Um, so he picked a very beautiful spot, but we were laughing off air because you asked if I knew, and I had he'd been like planning, like he designed the ring and had that for like eight weeks, I think, before we even left Melbourne. So I genuinely had no idea about any of that. And then from the moment we got to the airport, he got called to have his bag searched, and he was like, "Oh, just go through customs. I'll meet you on the other side." I'm like, "Why would I go through customs? Like, I'll just wait for you." I was like, "Go through customs." He got like very like aggressively telling me to go away and go through customs. I think he genuinely thought they were going to pull out the ring and he was going to have to propose in the middle of Melbourne airport. Um, So then he was just being really sus like the whole time and very protective of his bag and asking strange questions like, oh, horse riding, that's a romantic activity, yeah? So by the time it happened, I was like, pretty cluey. <laughs> it's so exciting and especially for a lot of people who have had weddings during COVID it's such a tricky time because I you know you know and I know a lot of people who have had to postpone you know look at Laura Henshaw yeah. the CEO of um, founder of of Kick she had to delay hers a million times everyone else so yeah it's really special that you're, you're doing it. Yeah my best friend was meant to get married yesterday and they unfortunately had to postpone because all of her family's in WA so although they could go ahead yeah. here like it meant all her parents and everyone couldn't come so I know like we were really lucky it just so happened that the date that we booked we always said we'd have a longer engagement more just to save up money because yeah. weddings are bloody expensive. So, um, so we we set it for two years away and that's been a real blessing take us back where did you grow up and growing up did you know 
what you wanted to do? <laughs> I grew up in a, I was going to say little town. It is, it's probably, it was littler when I grew up there, um, but it was still very much suburbia uh, in a place called Werribee in Melbourne. So out in the West side for anyone Melbourne based. <laughs> so I grew up out there and just had a pretty like normal suburbia life. Parents are married, still married. I've got a sibling and we played a lot of sport growing up. Did I know what I wanted to do? Absolutely not. I was convinced as a, as a child that I was going to be either a fairy princess or a Spice Girl. Like, Quickly learned that those two weren't real uh, plausible career possibilities for me for a number of reasons, mostly because I had no talent to be a Spice Girl or oh. any sort of pop star for that matter. Uh, but I loved performing and being on stage and I was always holding concerts for my parents. So I think everyone thought I was going to go into some sort of like acting or something like that. But again, didn't actually quite have the talent for it. Lots of drive and lots of passion, <laughs> but I think that I grew up and then re the reality was that that wasn't going to happen. So I suppose when I went through high school, I was, because I'd grown up playing a lot of sport, I'd been exposed to physios and I was always pretty health conscious in that sense, always really active. Um, so physio was on my radar. Physio was on my radar for quite a long time, but I did a plate like a high school work experience. I did one of those at a physio place and I hated it. So I was like, no, nah, I walked away from that. And I was like, well, back to the drawing board, hopped around for a few years. I looked at paramedicine, realized I didn't trust someone's life in my hands at 3am. Eventually I was actually going to, I went to all the open days in year 12 for journalism. Long story short, I jumped around a lot and I kind of ended up where I am just by a matter of circumstances. Like I had all my preferences in for journalism and then at the last minute realized I forgot to submit this extra essay that you had to do. And I was like, well, that's obviously not going to happen. I think to this day, mum doesn't know that. So sorry, mum, <laughs> wondering why I suddenly changed career path at the last minute. I got into health sciences and realized that was pretty batshit boring. I can't stay here. So I put in for physio because it was the best option from the course I was in. The others were podiatry. I was like, Bill, feet. Yeah, just even the whole way through uni, still didn't know what I wanted to do with that degree or where it would take me. And I still don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I've always been a bit of a yes person and take opportunities as they come. And I guess that's gotten me to where I am. Yeah. And so when you were in this field of work and practicing, what are some of the most common things you're doing on a day to day basis in your job? Yeah, I work really heavily in the women's health space. So for the first few years, I, I've always been passionate about women's health, even through my uni days. Um, I did a placement, elected to do a placement at the Royal Women's here in Melbourne, which was a fantastic experience. It was a really good hospital to be at, um, which really sparked my drive for working with women and pregnancy and postpartum and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, I suppose just like over the years did more of that and more training. And now that's probably a lot of the space I work in, but I never went on to do a master's. So I don't, I'm not a women's health physio, quote unquote. I don't do the internal vaginal thing all day. I call myself a women's health educator. I, I take all the knowledge that I've learned over the years and I have a good network of women's health physios who do do that side of things that I refer to and use when I need. But for the most part, I am just really passionate about empowering women to feel confident in how they move and, um, you know, how they manage their pregnancy and their postpartum period. I also work really heavily in the chronic pain and fatigue space and a lot of that comes from my own journey with chronic pain. Uh, so where those two worlds collide is often with things like endometriosis or chronic pelvic pain or sexual pain. We'll talk through those. I know that you do work with Kit Keep It Cleaner. We've had both Steph Clesmith and also Laura on the podcast before and you were talking before that's like you know part of your work with working with pregnant women and through their journey of pregnancy. Tell us about that and the work you do because I'm on the app and I see I mean I'm, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> 
apparently, <laughs> but I see what you guys do and, and it's a really cool program. Talk us through that sort of and how you're supporting women through that process and how that all came about. First of all, Kick are incredible. They are amazing to work with. I was an OG Kick girl like yourself, like I was on the app and stuff well before I worked with them. So, I mean, I still fangirl every now and then. Um, it came about through a bit of a connection with my current workplace. Um, they hosted a clothes swap, like a fundraiser at our workplace a few years ago. They just sort of used our space as a space to host the charity event. The bosses just stayed in touch. And when Steph got pregnant and time came, I guess, for them to want to bring a women's health or a pregnancy and postpartum program to kick. They were on the hunt for someone for the job and that ended up being me. So I helped them design Kick Bump, which is the pre and postnatal program that's on the app. So much of my role was A, in a bit of like program development and sort of overseeing the Pilates, overseeing all of that content and making sure it was physio approved. But I've also, as you said, my, my face is on the app a fair bit. I do a lot of educational videos. So educating women about their pelvic floor and, you know, different pregnancy niggles like pelvic girdle pain and things like like that. So all of that educational content was on there, which was a big part of what both myself and Kick really wanted when we were developing Kick Bump was not just to give them the exercises. We really wanted to empower women with knowledge. And I guess that's that comes from so much of my passion, but we wanted women to not just go on, do their exercises and then walk away still mm. feeling just as in the dark. We really wanted them to feel empowered and feel knowledgeable and feel in control of their bodies, especially during pregnancy and postpartum when so much is out of their control. Yeah, I think it's so cool. I think it's really epic how you're able to help and empower more people through a platform like that. I'm When I heard that you were, you know, help them develop that, I thought that was really cool. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was like a dream role for me. Like like I said, it's something I'm super passionate about and I was a kick girl. So it was just, I just love being a part of it. I'm really grateful. What are some of, I guess, the challenges or unknowns women who are pregnant find themselves in during that experience? Like you say, they can come on and do their workout. It must be a tricky time. Obviously they have their their health experts, their GP, uh, the obstetrician, whoever they're seeing and that they need to talk to those people. That's what you do. But, you know, what are some areas you find from your work that women are unsure about or need help and guidance with? I think a really big thing is just the incredible amount of misinformation that's out there. A lot of that stems from the fact that uh, in 1985 was when the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology first released their physical exercise guidelines for pregnancy. Since then, I think there's been about five or six updates. Like they've they've really come a long way. You know, back in the day, it was you have to keep your heart rate at a certain rate. You can't get your core body temperature over a certain temperature and only exercise for a certain amount of time. And there were all these really strict guidelines. And since then, we've come sort of full circle and gone, really now it's unless you have any complications or unless your obstetrician or health provider says otherwise, you're generally really pretty safe to continue what you did before as long as that's a safe activity you know if you were into water skiing maybe don't do that but um generally fitness exercise stuff you're, you're safe to continue maybe with some modifications the trouble is that a a lot of the information on the internet is outdated because unless you go hunting for the new updates you probably won't find them you'll find a lot of the old info or you'll find a mix of the old and the new because the old stuff doesn't just leave the internet and a lot of health providers are still heard of a lot of women who have seen their gps and this is i suppose just a, the state of the healthcare system, I guess, is if the GP doesn't know to go look for the new updates too. I mean, GPs have to be across so much information. It's hard to stay up to date with everything. But I've had women that are still given the advice that is the old update. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is that women just don't know what they can and can't do in relation to a lot of things, but particularly exercise is a big one. And I suppose another one is a lot of the stuff that's not Googleable, <laughs> like dealing with 
how your body, like your body changes and your body image and this like transition period of your life where you're going from maybe being independent or being quite social or being a traveler or whatnot. And then your whole world and your whole life changes. And a lot of these topics around motherhood and women's health are still very taboo. And if you don't have a network of women who have been through it, it's hard to find people who are talking openly about that experience and the fact that like they've struggled as well. So it's all very hush hush and quiet. And I think a lot of women feel like they need to go through through that alone. So they're probably the two most common things. I think there's a lot of not enough support out there for. Yeah. What would be some advice you would have for women who maybe are listening that have experienced their identity shift, their image of themselves, their bodies, their life, their identity? What would be some advice you would give them if they're struggling with that? I think one of the biggest things, and I, I haven't experienced this. I'm like you, I haven't had kids, um, but I've worked with a lot of women who have. I think one of the biggest things is to normalize and validate. So it is absolutely okay to miss your own body and your, your, sorry, your old body and your old life. That's okay to go through a bit of a grief period. Like you're changing and change is hard and change is scary sometimes. And I think normalizing and not pushing that down and being like, well, just be grateful that you you could have a baby or your body's changed. Yes, you have a bit more cellulite or whatever it might be, but but you have a baby. So, you know, that's such a wonderful thing. And absolutely, it is a wonderful thing. Your body has been through so much and your body is capable of so much and has done a really bloody amazing thing. You've grown a human, but it's also okay to to not be comfortable with that straight away. But then the other side of that coin is a little bit of self-compassion and self-kindness and say, well, my body has done a lot and it's been through a lot and I've been through a lot and I'm changing. And I think allowing women and holding that space for women to be able to go through that transition on their own terms and in their own time and whether that's getting some help and support professionally for that. There's a lot of, I know, counsellors and coaches out there that specialise in that transition period of your life, having the support around you to be able to go through that journey at your own pace. Totally. I think there's there's so many parts of that and I think one of them is that there's so much mum shaming, you know, like you say, oh, you should be grateful that you're even having a child because there are unfortunately so many people that struggle mm. to have children. And so I feel like those who maybe are lucky enough to uh, maybe feel like they can't voice their opinions or their or their feelings about feeling like they miss their life pre-child or their or their body or they're struggling with that yeah absolutely and you probably you'd find that in so many areas of life right like there's people that have lost their parents you know to unfortunate circumstances and then they go out for brunch with their friend who's complaining about their mum that's done something bitchy and it's everywhere everyone has their own journey but I think that is the point right we all have our own yes there's always someone worse off but that doesn't change your own experience being able to voice and express how you're feeling is so important because when you push that shit down it just stays trapped in there forever but finding the people you can do that with absolutely everyone's feelings are valid and I think that leads into like you say getting used to your post-pregnancy body that's when self-love really comes into it and and learning to love yourself and that's something that all of us have to work on. There's so much pressure on people and women to look a certain way. And, you know, I still, even though I am healthy and happy, I still feel pressure to be a certain size and like not put on weight and stay slim and everything like that. And so I think it's hard learning to love yourself in those kind of situations when there's these pressures put on us, right? A hundred percent. And it's not always just about self-love either. Sometimes it's just about self-acceptance might be the first start. It's also okay, I think, to because I'm exactly like you, like I've done so much personal work around learning to love my body. And I think that is really just 
a journey that you are forever on, especially in this society that values a certain size and values a certain look and a certain appearance and aesthetic. So it is kind of like an ongoing journey. I'm not sure it's ever a destination that you reach. Some days I feel super confident. Other days I wake up and I'm like, oh God, I feel like I've gained 10 kilos overnight. Maybe just because I'm a bit bloated and need to do a big poo or something. I don't know. <laughs> you don't get to a place, I don't think, where you're like, I love myself and I'm so okay with myself 100% of the time. I don't think that's realistic, like I said. And like you said, in this society that, you know, we feel this pressure as women that's coming from all angles all of the time. So it's kind of like you have to build yourself up to that point, but then you kind of have to keep working on it. Otherwise the world just tears you down. If you're not there yet and you don't resonate with that, that is okay. Starting with some self-acceptance and it might be accepting some parts of you whilst you continue to work on accepting other parts and, and slowly over time, I think you definitely get better at it. It is achievable. It's just always a bit of a work in progress, I think. Still to come on the show, advice for boosting our self-confidence and what is burnout and what can we do to avoid going there in our culture of hustle. But first, we're an independent podcast and you can support us by hitting follow to subscribe on your podcast app. Hit follow on Spotify, on Apple, we're on all of them. Turn on automatic downloads. If you're enjoying listening, leave us a five-star rating and write us a kind review. Show us where you're listening and post it on your Instagram story. You can tag us at Self Love Club Podcast. Keep up with us and follow us there on Instagram. I'm also at Belle Crawford and Belle underscore Crawford on TikTok. We'll leave all of these details so you can find us in the show notes. Send the link to your friends so they can listen as well and catch up on our three years. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Backlog. Let's get back into our conversation with Ash. What would be some tips, things that people can do to help them accept themselves and love themselves more? I think one place to start is recognizing that there are two voices in your head. So stick with me. This sounds not not in the sense that like you're crazy and you're hearing voices. <laughs> like there's there's an inner critic voice, like an ego that you look in the mirror and that's the voice that tears you down and points out and zooms your eyes in on the spots you always notice and pick apart our in, our own insecurities. Right, you've got that voice, but then you've also got this other voice that sometimes is not as loud or not as strong as the big inner critic voice, but it's still there. And it's working on nourishing and nurturing that voice. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, for me, it's my tummy. I've always had a bit of a lower tummy pouch. I think that's just my organs, but it's always been a source of insecurity for me. And so whenever I'm getting changed in front of the mirror, that's where my eyes go. And I force myself, it takes effort, but I force myself to look elsewhere. Like just zoom your eyes out, take a broader, you know, look at yourself and find other areas that you do like. So, you know, I'm looking in the mirror and my eyes will go straight to my tummy, but I zoom out and go, oh, but I like my smile or I like my eyes and find the stuff that you do like and just really focus on that. And then slowly over time, I don't, like I said, I'm not sure it ever goes away, but you get a little better at that process. So I think starting with writing a list of the stuff that you do like about yourself. And for a lot of people, that's really hard and really confronting. And even if it's one thing, find one thing that you like. I like my hair or I like my my toes or I like my, my 
kneecaps, whatever it might be, just or something functional. You might not love your legs, but they allow you to go for walks with your best friend in the morning. Or you might not like your arms, but they allow you to hug your loved ones. Find the, the things that you do like or the things that you appreciate about yourself and intentionally zoom your focus into those. And that might come in the form of, like I said, when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, zoom into those spots with your eyes, or it might come in the form of nurturing that quieter voice that isn't the loud in a critic and over time that voice will get stronger the more that you nurture it. It might be positive self-talk. It might be writing some affirmations on your mirror so that when you look in the mirror, you zoom straight to the insecurity, but then you immediately see in the corner, you've got your little sticky note of, I like my X, Y, Z. And it just, it's a little reminder for you to say to yourself and to pump up your own tires a little bit. The more that you do that, it is a practice. It is a journey. It is not just a destination that you get to. It doesn't happen overnight, but I think the more that you make a commitment to doing that, then you start to notice things changing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're a big fan of self-care, so am I. And I think a lot of self-love and self-care are different things, but they're tied in. And I think a really one way that can really help increase your level of self-love is by practicing self-care. Absolutely. I'm such an advocate for self-care. Um, I feel, find myself regularly being like, treat yourself. <laughs> and you know, like we're not, no one's perfect at it. I'm such an advocate for it. And I've even had a bit of an epiphany this week because I'm getting so close to the wedding. I booked myself in for a facial and it was, I'm very good at the at home self-care. I'm very good at resting on the couch and watching Netflix or doing some skincare at home or going and moving my body and doing some exercise and making sure I drink enough water while I'm not very good at that. But I'm good at the, the basic stuff. What I'm not always good at is treating myself financially. And that comes down to a whole other story of like money stories and things like that. But I'm not good at like going and doing stuff externally. And when I got this facial, I was laying there and I just noticed how tense my body was. And I was like, oh my God, why can I not relax? And again, if you're not in a place of self-love or even self-acceptance, self-care can be really hard. Just allowing yourself to sit on the couch and rest your inner voice might be screaming at you for that. As you said, it is so important and they are so interlinked. So find little ways of nourishing yourself and caring for yourself. And that might be as simple as acknowledging the fact that you're really bloody good at brushing your teeth. <laughs> I'm brushing my teeth because that's looking after my teeth and looking after myself. Or I have a shower every day and that gets me out of bed and gets me moving. Or I go to the gym and that's my self-care because it's my mental health outlet. Or I allow myself to rest on the couch when I need to. Like it's, it can be the little stuff. It doesn't have to be the big stuff, but the big stuff is important as well. I know what you mean. You shouldn't feel guilty for treating yourself, you're showing yourself that I deserve this. I work hard yeah. and I, I deserve and I'm allowed to enjoy these things. It's about finding stuff that you value. So if if for you, you value travel and that's your self-care and then it doesn't feel so much like a splurge, but it might be every now and then you do book that trip away or book yourself into some accommodation that's a little bit bougier than your usual. That could be once a year. It doesn't have to be, as long as you're doing the other stuff really regularly too, just find whatever is within your means and treat yourself a little every now and then. Because like totally. you said, you do work hard. You know, we've all got bills. I think if you can find something that is within your budget, still makes you feel like it's filling up your cup, then I'd really encourage people to do that. And I'm going to try and take my own advice a little more. One thing I noticed when I stopped, when I was in my late 20s and I stopped going out every weekend, I go through, I went through phases of like not doing it and I was pretty settled down in a relationship and be at home. And then, you know, I'd go out every weekend. When I stopped going out every weekend, I saved so much money. Not that I was spending 
spending a lot of money on alcohol, but it adds up, you know, your Ubers, your your Uber Eats, the, your hungover, your outfits, the money that you spend. I was able to save so much more money and I was, this is pre-COVID, did so much travel. It's doable when you go, and that was when I went on a real self-love journey of you know, not going out every weekend and having terrible anxiety the next day and feeling like a piece of crap for the next week. 100%. And that is such a good point. Like I've, that just sort of got me thinking as you were talking, how much stuff do we spend money on that is like not aligned with who we want to be or where we want to be or what we want to be doing or what we value? Like you said, for you, it was like spending money on going out. For me, it's like, you know, I spend a lot of money on just like just stuff that is like supermarket stuff and like stuff that I don't need. I just buy because I'm like, well, I'm trying to keep up with like what other people are doing or whatnot. But yeah, if we see, like if I was honest with myself and I sat down and worked out a good budget, I could find that hundred bucks a month that I need to take myself for a massage or something like that. Mm. Like it's, you know, the money's there. It's just maybe about redistributing it a lot of the time. Yeah, it's just working out what you want too. Like I didn't want to go out every weekend anymore. I don't enjoy drinking every weekend and that's fine if people want to do that, but that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted anymore and I wanted more and that's when I actually went and created the self-love club. I had to do that outside of my work times and so I was like, well, I have to do it on the weekends and I don't, if I'm hungover, I can't do that, you know? Now, something you do work with a lot is burnout and I, I think you've experienced that yourself and I, I was going through a pattern of keeping finding myself there and I think a lot of us do because we're trying to do too much or so much and constantly. So what is burnout, first of all? It's not a medical diagnosis. So there's a lot of uh, different variations of the definition that are out there that exist. But the way I describe it to people is we've got these two sides of our nervous system, right? And we've all heard of fight or flight. That's our when our nervous system comes under threat or danger, we go into fight or flight mode. And then we've got parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest side. So we've got our sympathetic and our parasympathetic. Think back to say caveman days. Most of the time you're chilling around with your family and your little tribe, just relaxing. That's your parasympathetic. That's your rest and digest. That's where your immune system functions. That's where your gut functions. That's where you can sleep really well. And then every now and then a tiger comes along puts you into that fight or flight. You deal with the threat, you run away or you fight. If you survive that, then you go back to your tribe. You live happily for the little bit of time in that rest and digest parasympathetic state until such time as another threat comes along. Modern day society, it's less tigers, more bills, (laughs) traffic, work stress, relationship stress, whatever it might be. There's like threats coming at us from every angle. I don't think it's realistic to expect us all to be in parasympathetic and rest and digest all the time because because of the life that we live in, unless you live literally on a farm surrounded by cows and nature. Um, most of the time, you're probably going to be in a bit more of a state of fight or flight. So we already have this kind of predisposition to fight or flight. Now, as I said, most of the time we're meant to be sitting around with our family and our tribe. Every now and then a tiger comes along. That fight and flight system really really is a short-term system. It's designed to get you out of danger quickly and effectively so that you can survive. And then you're meant to tip back to parasympathetic. But because we're running in this fight or flight state all of the time, it doesn't take much then for us to think of it as an energy tank. We are literally burning through that fuel. It's a short-term system. It's meant to come on and switch off. But when we're on it all the time, we're drawing from an empty tank. And that's, I suppose, where the burnout, quote unquote, burnout term comes from is because we are burning fuel from an 
an empty system. We've burnt out. We have nothing left in the tank. And that's where a lot of the self-care practices, but also finding activities that get you into a bit of a parasympathetic state more often. So things that promote a flow state. So um, whether that be getting into the zone with some artwork or going for a run, a lot of people say they find exercise meditative and it's that flow state that you end up in. Flow states where you kind of like completely lose track of time. You're just so in the zone and you, you can just get stuck in an activity for hours. So for some people that's reading, for other people that's yoga or meditating or exercise or whatever it might be. But those are the things that flow state is going to get us in a parasympathetic state more often and more regularly. That combined with self-care is essentially how we avoid burnout. It's like I said, it's it's one of those things that we all experience time to time or most of us experience time to time in this modern day society. It's incredibly common, but there's a lot that we can do to avoid it. When you're stuck in a burnout state, a lot of the time it really is you have to withdraw from whatever it is that's burning you out. So for some people that's and when we're talking, say, true chronic fatigue and, and whatnot, that point where you physically cannot push through anymore and you can't get out of bed, you don't have the energy, you're getting sick all the time, your immune system's really down and you're just really fatigued and you can't perform your usual duties. That's where you really have to. It's not as simple as just doing some yoga. You can't just cure it that way. You do really have to take some time off work, take a holiday, get away, change your environment. But it's a lot easier, like most things, it's a lot easier to prevent. It's not always entirely preventable. Sometimes life just does get stressful, but recognizing those times that if you're already at a high level of fight or flight anyway, or this like bubbling, simmering level of fight or flight that we're all in. And then when life gets a little bit extra stressful, so say something really sudden happens, you know, death of a friend or a relationship breakdown, whatever it might be, those times where it's like extra stress than normal, recognize that you can't just keep pushing through all of your other things. You've got to pull back from something, fill your cup up as much as you can with self-care, get yourself into those parasympathetic states more often. What are some ways we can prevent this? I think one thing I know for myself is we, a lot of us overwork, you know, if we're not productive, we're not valuable and that a lot of our value is tied up in that. And, you know, a lot of people find it hard to sit down and rest on the couch because they feel like they're being lazy. And I feel like we've had to mm. all untrain a lot of generational uh, beliefs on that. But what yeah. are some ways and things we can actually do? Because I think a lot of us, we're kind of our worst enemy where we are constantly burning the candle at both ends. We're doing too much. But what are some things we can practically put in place to help us not get there? Yeah, I'm going to give everyone and sometimes I need to remind myself of this as well, a bit of tough love. We're not superhuman. Like we, there is only 100% of you to give. You can't give any more than that. And I think, as you said, we we live in this hustle culture too that does um, value productivity. And as you said, there's a lot of generational stuff to that too. The ones that really struggle with rest and all their self-worth is tied up in productivity. Often that's a result of their upbringing or, you know, they were re rewarded for hard work. Like I said, though, we aren't superhuman. We can't do it all. That's just the fact of the matter. And something has to give. And if it's not going to be one of those things that you're trying to keep up with, it's going to be you. It's whether that's in terms of like what we can do to avoid it. I think it's developing a level of self-awareness. And if you know that you're someone that does 
easily buy into that hustle culture or someone that's, you know, I can fall into this a little bit as well. And I found myself in a bit of a burnout state or at least the start of it sort of before Christmas last year, because I had a huge 2021 on top of a global pandemic. And it was like fun stuff, like stuff that lit me up, but it was just too much. There is so much thing as too much of a good thing. And I pushed that candle a little bit too hard and was burning that at both ends. I think it's a level of self-awareness, recognizing when you are maybe doing too much and some of those signs like rain foggy, starting to notice that you're more tired than usual. The signs of a fight or flight are going to be, you know, think what you would do when you're in a fight or when you're fleeing from a tiger. You're going to be angry or on edge. You're going to be like more tense. You're going to struggle to let your guard down and relax. So if you find yourself snappy, if you find yourself irritated or really anxious, like that's kind of the other side, like you've got the fight, anger, short fuse kind of side of that state. And then you've got the anxious, jittery, can't relax side of that state. And both of those are a result of our stress hormones, our cortisol and our adrenaline. Recognizing those signs when you start to notice that maybe you're there and start to pull back from some stuff. And like, like we both said, we're in a culture that rewards and celebrates the hustle and the grind. And some of us like me and like you, Belle, we'd love it. It it lights us up, but we aren't superhuman. And I just want to like remind everyone of that. We can't do it all. That's the reality. I'd love to do it all, but recognizing when too much is too much for you. Mm. And that's going to be looking at those signs and symptoms and picking some stuff to pull back on. And that might be, you know, there's going to be different seasons of there's the quote, like different seasons for different reasons comes to mind. It sounds incredibly corny, but it sticks in my mind, which there's going to be periods of your life where you do need to hustle a little bit more and you do need to focus on your career. And there's going to be periods of your life where you can go, okay, well, I'm in a good place with my career. I, I don't have to hustle so much anymore. So maybe I'll focus a little bit more on my my fitness goals or I'll focus, focus, spend a bit more time channeling that into my relationship or my friendships or whatever it might be. Like you can't be a hundred percent in all areas of your life all at once. So find the stuff that you value and that's going to be very time dependent or depending on where you are in your life and pick the stuff that's important everything else run at like a a sub level (laughs) absolutely it's knowing your limits and also I think one thing I've really recognized is that I think as people and as women especially we feel like we're in our 30s or we're in our 20s we have to get all this stuff done so we're trying to do too much and I often have to remind myself there's time you have time and there are things you can do this year and there are things you can do next year and it doesn't all have to happen at once and sometimes when you're trying to do too much you get yourself in a state where you're actually not doing anything very well particularly so I think it's just recognizing that I think a lot of people get to that 20s late 20s 30 and they're like oh my god I've got to get all the stuff done my career needs to be great my family I need to get in a relationship I've got to have children I think we put ourselves in this like panic and and trying to do too much at the same time you know absolutely my favorite thing to do at the moment is or just maybe over the last couple of years because I used to look at other people and really compare like oh like they've achieved that much Mm. from you know and they're that age of your life like I work with Steph and Laura they're younger than me they are so successful and I just sit there I'm like I just wish that I you know got all that bad wearing it a little bit earlier but we can't we absolutely cannot compare our lives to others but what I love doing now is looking at that through a different lens so when I look at people now I look at what they're doing and instead of thinking I wish that was me or I have to do that or I'm not I'm not doing X, Y, Z and hating myself for that. I like looking at people that are doing the stuff that I want to do almost as inspiration. Like I love following, particularly with the pandemic, I went through this crisis of, I feel like I haven't done all my travel and now I'm nearing my thirties and I want to start settling down for kids, but I'm not going to be able to travel. So I love, like I've actively sought out bloggers, like travel bloggers that have children. (laughs) And I love watching them do it and being like, you know what? 
I can. As you said, there is time looking to those people for inspiration rather than comparison. And if you find yourself doing that, like if you find yourself looking at someone being like, oh, they have this, I wish I had that, challenge yourself and flip your mindset and think, well, why can't I do that? Or Mm. I can do that, but just on my own time frame. That's all we've got time for. Part two of this conversation with Ash will be out next week. Hit follow on your podcast app now if you haven't, so you're subscribed. Watch videos of this chat and all of our others at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. Follow us there to keep up with our content as well. You'll find me at Belle Crawford on Instagram, also Belle underscore Crawford on TikTok. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.